Well, I hear that Aaron did a great job last week, and uh, of course I knew he would, and I hope you saw, the te- even though what you saw in, in Acts 26 was, was uh, Paul's defense before um, uh, Agrippa, and, but, but what, was it Agrippa? Felix. Felix? And Agrippa, okay. So he did, all, he did it all, okay. All right. Um, so, so he was giving a defense, but in that defense, he's giving his testimony. And so I wanted you to see that there are times. It's a little different because we're probably not giving the defense, although we might, um, but this is an opportunity for us to do that. Um, and I hope you did your homework and wrote that out and... Um, I'm not going to make you come up here and give that in front of the class, but I would love to know if you did that, and maybe you can see me afterwards or sometime, And because uh, I, would, I would look forward to getting together with you and maybe listening to your testimony. Um, we've come now to the sixth evangelism class. It means after today we have only two classes remaining in, that were in evangelism, and then we'll move on to missions. Next week, we're going to review the essential components of the gospel. We're going to review that, maybe get a little more detailed. Um, And the following week, we're going to to talk about the gospel in 30 seconds. Um, And that'll be kind of a fun thing to look at. Um, So far, we've looked at what the Bible has to say about sharing the gospel with others. We went from Genesis to Revelation to see God's big picture with regard to evangelism. We looked at God's sovereignty and man's responsibility so we don't get off into error from one side or the other when it it comes to evangelism. We looked at what the Bible says about the gospel so that we could define the gospel according to the Bible. Very important because there's a lot of definitions out there of what the gospel is. And hopefully you you got that definition. We'll, We'll talk about that a little bit more next week. We started talking about the real practicality, how side of evangelism with our personal testimonies and how you can kind of create a way of getting to the gospel through your testimony that's, that's an easy transition into it. Um, and so um, it's important that we start with what the Bible says about these things first. That's why we started where we started. So we could get to the action part or the the doing of the word part uh, uh, when when it comes to evangelism. Now before we get into today's subject, which I hope you got a handout, I think it's important to be reminded about who we are and why we do these kinds of classes here, why it's important to do these kind of classes, why we're being equipped for the work of the ministry as Ephesians 4.12 tells us, instructs us to do. So just a little review, this is going back a while, quite a while ago, but from the Doctrine of the Church Sunday School classes, Rod went through a whole series of the Doctrine of the Church, and then we went into a membership class, Um, and so this is kind of uh, a review of that, because we we need to just step back for a minute and remember why we do what we do and why we're being equipped to do these kinds of things. We who are believers sitting here this morning 
are a part of the body of Christ. The universal church, which is composed of all spirit-baptized believers, from Pentecost all the way up to the rapture, future into when the rapture, that period of time, we are the universal church. Specifically, we are the local church, which is the visible expression of the body of Christ in any one specific geographical area or location on earth. That is the church. It's not just in the United States. It's across the whole globe. Um, Specific, visible visible expressions of the body of Christ in uh, smaller gatherings. Um, Roland McCune in Systematic Theology, Volume 3, defines the local church as the pillar in support of truth, which is 1 Timothy 3.15. Great definition because it comes straight from the Bible. But he goes on to say, it is the only God-appointed institution authorized to carry out His program of witness and service on earth during this present age. It's the only one. Not a parachurch organization, but God has appointed the institution of the church and authorized the church to carry out his program of witness. That doesn't mean that a parachurch organization can't share the gospel as a part of its um, charter or whatever it is. But God has appointed the church to do that. We'll get into this in missions, but that's why I believe that even a missionary organization, if we're going to send somebody out or support a missionary out on the field, they need to be attached to a local church on the field if they're not the pastor of that church. If they're you know, a church planter, for example, and somebody who's under somebody, or they're teaching a training center who's teaching pastors to become pastors of a church. Even during that time, they need to be under and as sent and a part of a local church. They just can't be out there on their own. They need to be tethered to a local church and the elders and the, and the structure that, that the church provides because it's the only God-appointed institution. And so, um, kind of getting off on that. You'll, we'll talk more about that in missions. So that means that we are the visible expression of the body of Christ in Hampton, Nebraska. We come together as a local church called Countryside Bible Church. The body of Christ localized here. And we do that to glorify God, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. We see that in Ephesians 3. We see that in 2 Thessalonians 1. Um, We come together to be equipped through the preaching and teaching of God's Word, 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 4. We go into the world to evangelize, Matthew 28. We saw that. And we also build each other up in the faith and serve one another according to the gifts that God has given us. That's Ephesians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Peter 4. And so... I wanted to start with that because we don't want to get away from who we are and why we need to be equipped 
even in practical theology that we're talking about, um, and and the how to do the the theology that we know, and so today is going to be part of that how to how do we do or what happens if, and uh, so this morning I want to talk to you about something we've all faced. What we do when the person that you've shared the gospel with doesn't react the way you had hoped. Instead, they reacted just the opposite way. What do we do about that? How do we, how do we get around, how do we cope with that kind of? And much of what I'm teaching today, I received from another church back when I was teaching evangelism at, at Mission Road Bible Church about 11 years ago. But I think the subject is worth talking about because, because most, most of us struggle with this aspect of sharing our faith. You know, we get all pumped up, we want to go share our faith, and we get out there, we do it, and, uh, and we get rejected. And, so, and then we feel rejected. And uh, so the question is, what if they reject me? We've all asked that question or thought it. We've all dealt with it. We, um, we've dealt with the fear and maybe even anxiety when thinking about sharing our, our faith, sharing the gospel with somebody and what ifs, and so we get anxious about it. What if they don't hear me? What if, what if we get rejected by it? Um, so how do you deal with rejection after sharing the gospel? And I want to say up front that there's lots of reasons. There's lots of reasons why that we can get rejected. We can get rejected for being a jerk about the way we approach people. I mean, really, we can, we can really be a jerk, you know. And so, um, or we can be rejected for not letting up when we've been asked to let up. You know, pushing so hard that, and people are just saying, back off, you know. Um, we can be rejected for treating people poorly when we're giving the gospel. We can be rejected uh, for not listening to them, for being manipulative, for we can be reckless, we can be confrontational, uh, we can even be rejected because we've sinned against them in the process. But I'm not talking about that kind of rejection this morning. What I'm talking about this morning is getting rejected as a result of our, our witness for Christ in relationships with people that God has put around us. We've been talking about and praying about, hopefully you've been praying about, for God to put, um, put people around you and put them, on, put them on your heart. So this morning I want to talk about fighting fear of man and rejection. And kind of to set the stage, I thought I'd begin by laying out a, a hypothetical situation. And it might seem far-fetched for some of us, but honestly, it might be a situation that, that many of you have experienced already. And if we strive to be faithful evangelists in the future, which is I hope all of us are striving to do, we'll, be, we'll find ourselves likely in this scenario or somewhere around this scenario um, at some point, if not often, honestly. So here's the situation. After, after praying over the last six weeks or so for God to give you a passion for evangelism, after praying that he would lay on your heart people around you who need to hear the gospel, after asking the Lord for opportunities to share with people at work or in, in your neighborhood or friends or maybe family, 
after doing all that, you finally step out in faith, in confidence, maybe a little nervous, but you're going to do it, and you're trusting God to do it. And you begin to think strategically about sharing the gospel with somebody. How am I going to go about doing it? Looking for opportunities and thinking about it. And you begin to engage with your unbelieving coworker, the one you've worked on projects with, the one you've always, you always sit beside at meetings, the one you generally enjoy being around or even occasionally talking to about your personal life or about your love for guns or the old classic rock bands or with your unbelieving parent, the two people, parents, the two people you know and love and care for deeply, the two people who would probably take a bullet for you in a heartbeat. Or with your unbelieving child, the human being you brought into the world and served and supported and made sacrifices for thanklessly throughout elementary school and high school and even college. Or with your unbelieving neighbors, the couple you feel comfortable having over for dinner or who you want to see at the hospital they went to see you at the hospital when you got sick. The ones you let borrow your car when their car was in the shop. The neighbors you talked to about politics over the fence. The neighbors who love to talk about Nebraska football or gardening or, or travel. Or with the one, or one of your closest friends. The person who is part of so many good memories. One that you have coffee with at the C-store. The person was, who was there helping you during hard times. The person you know, who knows you like a sister or brother. The person you think you could say anything to. With that person in conversation, at your desk, at work, over coffee, around the kitchen table, driving in the car, talking in front of the house or at the co-op, maybe even in the field during har harvest. You find yourself, by God's grace, turning the talk towards spiritual things. I've talked about all those other things. Maybe it's the coworker that likes classic rock bands and you start talking about Led Zeppelin's old song, Stairway to Heaven. And you ask the coworker what they think about the whole idea of heaven. You're starting to turn it. And, and they, you ask them and whether they think there's really hope for something after we die. And then they say, what do you think? Before long, you're sharing the gospel. You're telling them about how God is the creator and ruler of everything and, and how he's made us to love and worship and love him, live for him. You say, but instead, we've all rebelled against him and lived as if we're God ourselves. You point their attention to the fact that this rebellion is seen in how broken the world is and how broken our lives are. You tell them about how God is perfectly good and perfectly just, how it would be right for Him to punish all of us in eternal hell forever. You tell them how God, because of His great love, sent His Son, Jesus, into the world. You explain how Jesus, though He never sinned, died on the cross as a sacrifice for sinners. You go on to explain how He, that he was then raised from the dead three years, three days, three Three years, yeah. Three days later, proving that God has accepted the sacrifice. 
You tell them how they can be forgiven of their sins and made right with God if they only repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ. You've done all that. At this point, you're feeling pretty good about the conversation. You're silently praising God, you know, because you did all that. He's answered your prayer. He's given you the chance to share the gospel. But then your joy is soon interrupted by what follows. In the next few days, your coworker begins avoiding you and talking about you behind your back. Your parents get up from the table and storm out of the room. Your child laughs at you and begins coming around less and less. Your neighbor puts a finger in your face and says, don't ever talk to me about that again. Your best friend says, you've got a lot of nerve talking to me about that. When you bring up the gospel again and again, you see them mentally turning you off. In pictures on Facebook, you see other faces instead of where your face used to be. Guys at the co-op start to shun you and talk to everyone else but you, and on and on and on. You feel terribly let down. Maybe you even feel abandoned. Perhaps even in the back of your mind, you're, you're silently wishing that you'd never open your mouth to begin with. After all, things were, were better back then, or at least more enjoyable, more comfortable being around them. And so you start asking why. Why is it happening to me? I did the right things. And you're just kind of wondering, am I just a bad evangelist? Is that the, what it is? Or what is it? What does it mean when people you love the most, when people all you thought loved you and cared for you, reject the gospel and seem to reject you because of it? As I was preparing this week for this lesson and just thinking about the weightiness of what, what, we, what's been, what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, it, it is very weighty when we start thinking about the responsibility that God's given us and yet he's sovereign and trying to think through all that, what do we do? The reality is Jesus commands us to make disciples in Matthew 28. He just does. And Peter exhorts us in 1 Peter 3.15, says to always pre- be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in us with gentleness and respect. Doing these things, if we're faithful, may well result in hardship. Why? Well, it's not because the, the sharing the gospel is a burden or some sort of joyless drudgery. It should be exciting and joyful to do that. In fact, it's a privilege to be entrusted with the gospel and it often results in all kinds of joy. It may well result in hardship because sharing the gospel sometimes can come at a great personal cost, as many of you in this room have already experienced. So having laid out for you that series of kind of hypotheticals that are in reality probably not all that hypothetical, um, I want to spend the remainder of our time answering a couple questions. Just Maybe they're just reminders, but answering the questions. Then I want to leave you with a handful of encouragements. And this is where... it'll be on your sheet, some of this. My hope is that you'll recall these little encouragements, um, not if, but when, rejection comes in response to your evangelism. So a couple of questions. First, 
Why do people reject the gospel? They're lost, right? There you go. Anything else? What's that? They're veiled. They're veiled, yeah. Anything else? Well, I asked the question because I want to take you back to one of our first classes. That's why those first classes were so important. Why do people reject the gospel? You need to understand as clearly as possible that it's not fundamentally because of the seamlessness or the lack of elegance in your gospel presentation. It's not. It's not because of a seamless presentation. It's not because of elegance in your gospel presentation. Remember, we've been saying this all along, God is the one who saves. God is the one who saves. If you don't remember anything else that I've said, remember, God is the one who saves. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. John 6.63, we've looked at these before. The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. It's the Spirit of God who gives the life. (coughs) Salvation belongs to our God and Him alone. We are responsible to share for sharing the good news and for being ambassadors for him in this world. We're responsible. We're responsible for sharing the good news and for being ambassadors. We've looked at that. We've gone through those classes. But he is the one who saves. He is the one who saves. We're responsible for sharing the good news. We're responsible for being ambassadors for him in this world, but he is the one who saves. Therefore, we're not responsible for the effects of our evangelism. And that's true if the person repents and believes and becomes a member of our church and eventually becomes an elder and leads others to Christ. And it's also true if the person shoves us away, slanders our name, and never speaks to us again. If you've stepped out in courage and faith and shared the gospel with someone, whether that's one conversation or over a series of conversations, and they've rejected it and rejected you, don't buy into the lie that would tell you that if only I'd said it this way or that way or I'd put it this way, um, they would have repented and believed. It's just not true. The fact of the matter is that we're all dirty, rotten, stinking sinners. We are. We've broken God's commands. We've lived in active opposition to Him. Remember Romans 3.10-18? through 18? There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throats are is an open grave with their tongues they keep deceiving the poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness their feet are swift to shed blood destruction and misery are in their paths and the path of peace they have not known there is no fear of God before their eyes 
Does anybody know what Isaiah 53, 6 says? All we, each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That includes our unbelieving friends, that includes our unbelieving family members, that includes our unbelieving co-workers, and yes, that includes unbelieving children. We all by nature have hearts that are hardened towards God and towards the good news, the gospel about Jesus. We've brought this upon ourselves because of the way we've lived. John Piper describes sin like this. The glory of God is not honored. The holiness of God is not reverenced. The greatness of God is not admired. The power of God is not praised. The truth of God is not sought. The wisdom of God is not esteemed. The beauty of God is not treasured. The goodness of God is not savored. The faithfulness of God is not trusted. The promises of God are not relied upon. The commandments of God are not obeyed. The justice of God is not respected. The wrath of God is not feared. The grace of God is not cherished. The presence of God is not prized. The person of God is not loved. Do you see what unifies all those statements? They're all demeaning or belittling to God. To make the God of the universe insignificant is a major blunder. It really is a death sentence. And that's the state of all that we all find ourselves in when we've confronted when we're confronted with the gospel. We all are there. And then we're confronted with who Christ is. It's the state we would remain in, each of us that are believers, unless God acts to change us. And he did for all of us that are believers. That's the state we would remain in unless God replaces our heart of stone with heart of flesh and softens us to him and his word. So, that's why people reject the gospel. That's why they reject the gospel. It's not because of the clarity or choppiness of the gospel presentation, because it's because they choose to reject the gospel. Because in their natural state, they're opposed to God. In their natural state, they love almost everything else more than God, whether they admit it or not. Their life will show it. In rejecting the gospel, we see that the true colors of mankind, and we see just how lost and hardened against the Lord we really are. Which raises a second question. Why then should we evangelize? So if they're in total opposition towards God, and if God and not us is ultimately the one who saves then why should we build relationships in hopes of sharing a message that might put those very relationships in jeopardy? Well, the reason is because it brings glory to God. Simple. It brings glory to God. Ephesians 1. God is the ultimate evangelist. Have you heard that before? He is all about making His name known. And he loves it when his people are about the same thing. 
Another reason is because there's only one way for people to be reconciled to God. There's only one way to people, for people to be reconciled to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. In order for people to be reconciled to God, they must first hear about Jesus Christ, who He is and what He's done. In God's providence, He's adopted us to be the ones to tell that story. He's chosen us to spread the good news. God is the one who saves, but the heart work that He does on people through the Holy Spirit, replacing the heart of stone, replacing their sin and their need for a Savior, granting them repentance and faith, is always done in conjunction with the facts of the gospel being presented. Even if they just read the gospel being presented, and they read it and they repented, it's always been, you've got to know who Christ is. It's why we should share the gospel. Because the gospel is, as Romans 1.16 says, what? The power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Romans 1.16. It is the power. The gospel. Yes, our relationships with unbelieving parents and spouses and friends and co-workers and roommates and children will probably be easier and more comfortable if we don't share the gospel with them. We just keep our mouth shut. But I think we have to ask ourselves if we're really being good friends and good parents and good spouses and good children, good co-workers, if we don't attempt to share the gospel. If you walked out of your front door and saw your best friend standing in the street, oblivious to the, to the truck barreling down the road straight for them, you didn't attempt to holler out and warn them He just sat there several minutes in silence. What kind of friend would that be? I remember a a time that my son, my oldest son, was learning to ride a bike, and we were living in a very rural town in western New York State, and we were trying to shove him down the street and and tell him, you know, kind of, you're going to do this. And so... We did that a few times, and after a few wrecks, he got it, you know, and he was going along, and we were going down through the street, he was going down there, but we forgot to tell him about the break, and I could hear a truck barreling down, or a car barreling down the road, and I could hear it, I couldn't see it, because it was up, there was kind of a hill, and then it kind of went down, and I could see it coming, I knew that it was only probably about an eighth of a mile before it had hit that top of that hill, and this road that he was on his bike was coming, was, was right at the bottom of that hill. Just a, little, just a little bump in the road. And I could hear it, and Kathy and I were screaming bloody murder, you know, just kind of trying to warn him of what's coming up. He had no idea. He was oblivious to it. All he knew, he was, he, he was going, and he had no idea how to stop. And so... We're running and we're trying to catch him and he's going faster than we are and it was, it was this terrible thing that a parent had to, you know, kind of think that we were going to watch and see. That's kind of, by the way, he made it and, uh, um, and he got, went across the road into a driveway and crashed. 
And uh, then all of a sudden the car comes flying across the hill. But that's the, the same kind of thing, you know. If, if you, what kind of parent or father or, or, uh, or uh, worker or friend are you if you don't warn someone about what's going to happen to them? God's judgment was barreling down on us. We were, as Ephesians 2 says, dead. Dead in our trespasses and sin. And by nature, objects of God's wrath. But someone loved us enough to tell us about how much God loved us in Christ. And we should do the same regardless of how sharing the gospel might stir things up or break fellowship or... uh, you know, anything like that with others. The most loving thing we can do in our relationships is to share the gospel, no matter what the cost. So, to summarize what I've covered so far, first, when someone rejects the gospel, it's not fundamentally because of, because, because of us, what we might say or how elegant we are, how great we are, you know, getting all the points right. God's the one who saves. Got to remember that. God saves. Second, given the reality of God's holiness and our need to be reconciled to Him, evangelism is a good and loving thing to do regardless of how people respond. But that still leaves us with the fact that rejection is unpleasant. I mean, it's an unpleasant thing to be rejected. We don't, nobody likes it. Uh, it's even devastating. When someone we love rejects the gospel, it's difficult not to take it personally. It, it can take the wind out of us. It can make us question a lot of things. It's never fun to lose friends. It's never easy to be at odds with family. No one looks forward to going to a job that's hostile. So, Having said all that, let me leave you with some encouragements that I pray will help you. It'll help you endure. That will help you persevere in your attempts to share the gospel. That'll help you trust the Lord when evangelism doesn't go the way you had hoped. Number one, be comforted. Somebody look at John 15, verses 20 to 21. Somebody read that, John 15, 20 to 21. And then somebody else, before you do, somebody else re- look up 1 Peter 4, 12 to 16. Go ahead. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Okay. Be comforted. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Claim to be a believer, that's going to happen. Um, be comforted, though. Now, 1 Peter 4, 12 to 16. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, and so something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted by for the name of Christ, you are blessed, that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evil thief, or as a meddler. 
Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him do not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Yeah. So that's suffering of any kind, but certainly we can we can be reviled for the name of Christ, sharing the name of Christ, and we can suffer with our friends or family or or co-workers and those kind of things. But according to both Jesus and Peter, suffering because of our faith is actually a proof that we're in the faith. We shouldn't be surprised when it happens. In fact, we should even rejoice when the world rises up against us. We rejoice because of the opportunity it gives us to share Christ's suffering and it brings glory to God. 1 Peter 3 also talks about how one day our suffering will end and will be vindicated and it presents Noah's example in, in verses 20 to 22. Remember how, how Noah was detested by his neighbors for trusting God and building the ark? Yet God was faithful to him and his family during the flood. If you struggle in the face of opposition, wondering if something is wrong because only a few stand with you, then, then look to the example of Christ first, but also look to the example of Noah, which is interesting that that was put in there in 1 Peter 3. God vindicates those who truly follow him. So be comforted because the rejection we sometimes face for sharing the gospel is a way to share in Christ's sufferings. That's a good thing. So be comforted because the rejection won't last forever. Number two, be merciful. Peter calls on us in the midst of suffering to be witnesses to non-Christians and even to desire the good of those who persecute us. Someone read 1 Peter 2, 23 to 24. So here we see the Peter, the disciple who denied Jesus three times and then watched Jesus suffer for him, learn from Jesus' example. Somebody read that. 1 Peter 2, 23 to 24. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you are healed. Yeah, so Peter knew firsthand the forgiveness of Christ. He knew firsthand how good Christ could even be to, even toward one who denied him, not only once, but three times. We need to also remember how good God has been to us. We deserted him, yet he responded with incredible love toward us. How then can we treat any other way um, people who reject us? How can we think differently or, or not worry about those kind of things? We can't treat other per- people badly, but instead we need to treat them mercifully. So remember, be merciful as God has been merciful to you. Number three, be available. It may very well be the case that the wisest course of action after sharing the gospel with someone and seeing them reject it is to take a step back. It may be wise not to bring up the gospel the next time you see the person, especially if they've asked you not to talk with them about Christ. I think there's a sense that once you've shared the gospel with the person, 
like that, um, and they're hostile, um, you've done what you needed to do, and you've planted that seed of the gospel. Yes, you want to follow up, you want to go deeper, you want to try to explain the gospel to them again, but only as the occasion requires it. Look for those occasions. Pray about that, that God gives you those opportunities. When the person expresses interest in hearing more or asks questions, then um, look for those ways that, it, the, that the situation clearly presents itself. And yet we don't want to go out of our way to avoid them, even if we're not talking to them about the gospel. We should live holy lives around them because they're going, if you've shared the gospel with them, they're going to be watching your life if they haven't already. So we need to make sure we're living holy lives around them. We, we should live lives that give credence to what we've said is our gospel claims. We should forgive them. We should pray for them. We should, when possible, be available in case something happens that makes them re, reconsider. Be available in case God begins to work in them and in case they start giving what you're talking about in the gospel, Christianity, a second thought. Be available in case the need arises and then ask for God to help you. So be available. Number four, be hopeful. You never know how the Lord may use your evangelism. You just don't know. Just because someone rejects the gospel when you share it doesn't mean that they're beyond hope. And sometimes we might feel that way. You know the story of the missionary Jim Elliott? You know that story? The man who said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Elliot and several friends moved to Ecuador to share the gospel with an unreached group of Indians only to be massacred by them on a beach in January of 1956. But the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, is that in the years and decades to follow, other missionaries, including the wives and children of some of the men who had been murdered that day, were able to lead many of those Indians in that tribe to Christ. And that those tribe members were leading, after that, even others to Christ. So be hopeful. Be hopeful. You have planted the seed of the gospel, and you don't know what God is going to do with that seed. Be hopeful. And last, be prayerful. Be prayerful. That's the number one thing I've asked you guys to do in this class, is to pray. Uh, but, but God hears prayer. To pray for someone isn't a cop-out. It's just not. To pray for someone that, you, that they would come to know the Lord is just, it's an act of love. Get others to pray too. Be prayerful. The point is, don't, don't feel rejected. I know there's that, <clears throat> that initial thing. But you got to think deeper. And that's why praying and setting yourself up for this way ahead of time is what you need to do. Pray that God gives you... I'm not... It's the same homework. Hopefully you're doing it. Pray that God would give you a heart for the lost. Pray that 
um, that you would see lost people like God sees lost people. They need the Savior. And pray that God, we've always already established that God uses us to present the gospel to others. He doesn't need us, but he's chosen to use us. So pray that God would put people in front of you to share the gospel with. I mean, if you've not done that, please do it. It's, it's, it's what we do as Christians. We, it's the doctrine of the church. It's part of the doctrine of the church. God has established this little church here where he's established with you. The church is you, not the building. And one of those things is to go out and share the gospel and make disciples. Let's pray. Father, give us a heart for the lost. Show us when we need to take the opportunity to share the gospel. And, and help us not to be afraid. Help us to do it boldly, uh, not belligerently, not be jerks about it, but in love and compassion, sharing the gospel. And Father, help us to trust you to do what you want to do with that. We leave it in your hands after that. Thank you, Father, for giving us the opportunities that you're going to give us. Help us to be faithful. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.